Amen. Well, praise the Lord um, for these wonderful songs we have sung in directing our gaze and our attention to why we exist, and that is to worship the Lord forever. Um, it's also good to have my wife here. She's She was with um, our kids' opener yesterday, but Lucretia, raise your hand, girl. <laughs> That's my wife. Yes, amen, amen. Yes, yeah, so praise, praise God for her and our kids are having a wonderful time uh, making connections and uh, yeah, we got a chance to walk a little bit on the trail um, by the lake and then on the, our youngest, uh, all three of us and our youngest, we, we were able to go on the, on, the, on the boat with the motor and as we were making our way back in, we were close, uh, the motor started to act up and it's like, okay, so I had to get the paddle and try to, and praise God, other people were around, they kind of pushed us along so we can get... <laughs> to our destination. Uh, Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, as I've said before, I'm just, just sharing with you things that God has just been teaching me um, over, this, over this year and even um, part of last year as well, just in my personal time. And uh, we looked at uh, the issue of worship and the issue of praise, you know, to try to scratch the surface on that yesterday. Today I want to look at the issue of the word, the issue of the word. And we're going to look at a, a powerful yet convicting parable. Um, in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20 is the whole um, pericope of Scripture we're going to look at uh, today. How many of us like to exercise? Anybody? Okay, all ten hands. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, I'm a member of the y, uh, YMCA at home. It's funny. I just got an email today saying <laughs> the gym is closed uh, because there's a water outage. I'm like, goodness gracious, alive. Uh, so hopefully they get that fixed by the time we get home. So anyways, one of the things I enjoy to do is go to the cycling, a cycling class, uh, 30 minutes of just kicking your behind. Um, at 6 o'clock in the morning, I actually enjoy it. In fact, uh, I started uh, going to cycling classes back in, we were living in Chicago. And I remember in this one cycling class, this class was like an hour long. You would come out of there burning at least 700 calories. I mean, it was, it was insane. But I remember uh, seeing this somewhat of a bodybuilder at the gym, always at the gym, always just, he was one of those loud dudes, for un, just unnecessarily loud, you know, it was like, come on, man, you know, you grunt in your heart, you don't have to be all loud. So there he is, I would always see him, but this time around, he decided to come to the cycling class. Now, we're, we're setting up, we're setting up, we're uh, getting ready, the class hasn't even started, he comes in, he, he looks all wet behind the ears, he looks like he knows what he's doing, I'm like, yeah, he's used to lifting weights, we're not riding bikes. And then he grabs his bike, and then he, he looks to me and my friend, who's sitting in the corner, he said, hey, hey, what, what's so hard about riding a bike? And we was like, you'll see. <laughs> you'll see. Literally, the class started, this hour-long class. Now, keep in mind, a bodybuilder, ripped to shreds, always in shape. The brother was struggling five minutes in. He was hunched over, he was breathing heavy, and, and literally... You know, a few more minutes later, total of 15 minutes into an hour-long class, I saw him quietly get off the bike, look at the bike and says, ah, and goes back out. He couldn't last. We, we laughed, me and my friends, we laughed. And we were thinking, I'm thinking to myself, how is it that you got all those muscles, but you can't ride a bike? If you really want to evaluate where you really are physically, do a stress test, do something uh, cardiovascular. That, that'll really show you. And in fact, in sports, 
they have conditioning coaches. In fact, I got a chance to attend a Dodgers game a few weeks ago. I was at the SBC convention, over 12,000 people there. You're sitting all day. Your brain hurts for sitting for eight hours. You're like, you know what? I need a ball game. I want to see a ball game. So my buddy's wife's cousin is the main athletic trainer for the Dodgers, and we got tickets behind home plate. Yes, suffering for Jesus. <laughs> After the game, Dodgers won. After the game, we got a chance to talk with him, and he, he, he was just telling us his protocol, his, his, his process of training his athletes. He said some guys, even after a long game, would go into doing a straight workout. I'm like, wow, really? He said, yeah, some of these guys are very serious because they realize they have to focus on their cardiovascular fitness in order to perform at a high level. All that to say is this. We live in a society today where people think they're doing okay when they're really not. It's easy to look like we're in shape spiritually when we're not. I'm a preacher's kid. Come on, man. We, you know, you can perform well. You can look the part. You can look like you're spiritual. You can have your Bible in your lap. You can look like you're all interested. You can say the right words. You can sound like you're close to God. You can do all that. And God's looking at me like, boy, what are you doing? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world for his soul? What, what does it profit a person to look the part when in reality they spiritually are out of shape? Remember what Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit. That's a fitness term for the kingdom of God. So if we really want to see where we are, we have to do a heart check. And that's what Jesus goes after when we're looking at the nature of the word in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, if you'd like to take notes, I'd like to summarize my message in a sentence. And here's what we're going to learn today, this evening. The word of God always reveals the true condition of my heart. That's my message in a sentence. The word of God always reveals the true condition of my heart. And in these 20 verses, we see that Jesus gives the parable, then he clarifies it, and then he explains it. And a lot of the message is going to center on the third portion. Jesus gives the parable, clarifies it, and explains it. Notice the parable. Notice the setting in verse 1 of of Mark chapter 4. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. By the way, I, I got a chance to go to Israel um, back in May with my father with Moody Bible Institute. That was my second time going with my dad. And very strategic. Jesus is very strategic. Uh, voice carries. He can reach a lot of people when he's teaching by the sea. So nothing's random. Okay? He's sitting there on purpose intentionally because his voice is going to carry as he's teaching beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, here it is. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, and since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, 
let him hear. Now, we'll unpack the parable in a few moments, but I want to highlight two critical things. Number one, listen. Somebody say listen. It's interesting here. Actually, in the Greek, it's plural. He's speaking to everyone, the crowd. Listen, it means uh, to pay close attention. But then also, he says, hear. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. In fact, this is used about 13 times in chapter 4 alone. And the idea is, look beneath the surface. Uh, Catch the meaning. Catch the point. See the imagery. And then Jesus goes into the parable, which we'll unpack in a few moments. One of the things that marriage has taught me and is teaching me a lot. Hello, married people. It's uh, not listening well will get me into a lot of trouble. Don't leave me up here by myself. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have had. How can I put this eloquently? um, Marital realignment sessions. Translation arguments. There's many times when she would say to me, are you listening? Come on, don't leave me up here by myself. You you, you know how it is. You're here, but you're not here. You hear, but you don't hear. See, it's easy to be present and miss the heart of the matter. It's easy to come to a chapel service or go to a small group and still miss the heart of the matter of what God is trying to do. So not listening will get me into a lot of trouble. Here's the first principle I want you to jot down. I must, we must listen carefully to the word of God. Jesus calls for the people to listen, discern, pay careful attention Thus, we must listen carefully to the word of God. Now, why is this? Let me give you three reasons why. One reason why we must listen carefully to the word is because God has spoken. And might I add, and he has not stuttered. God has spoken. Hebrews 1 verse 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We listen to the word because God has spoken, but also, number two, because God is speaking. Interesting. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Far too often as a pastor, I hear people say, well, I, I want to hear God speak. You know, I, I really, I'm really trying to, I want to get an experience with God. And I'm like, okay, okay, you want to hear God speak? Grab your Bible, open it up, read it out loud, or in your heart, you just heard the voice of God. Don't chase the experiences. My wife and I talked about this the other day. We know, we, we know people that are chasing the, the, the emotionalism, the experience. And they, they, there's moments where we get excited and, and we, we, we tear up. And those moments are precious. But our faith is not based on feelings. Our faith is not based on highs and lows. Our faith is based on the truthfulness of Scripture. God's Word is living and active. It changes lives. I wouldn't be up here if I didn't believe that. God's word is truth, and we will do ourselves a great service to listen carefully 
to what God is saying to us. So I must listen carefully to the word of God also, number three, because God's word has unstoppable power and purpose. Do you believe that? His word is unstoppable power and purpose. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes forth out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So bottom line, what Jesus has to say matters. Time out for opinion chapter two, verse six. Time out for living on my own understanding. God has spoken and what he has to say matters. And we are living in an ever-increasing climate where this needs to be decided among the believers. Will we listen to the culture or will we listen to truth? Will we listen to our preferences or will we listen to biblical truth? Will we stand on what Christ has said or will we go whichever way the wind blows? We must decide. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Jesus gives this parable speaking about the nature of the word. He's calling us to listen, to hear. But then he moves to the clarity. I promise you we'll come back to the details of the parable. But he now moves to the clarity. Interesting here. If you look at verse, if you look at verse 10, he goes on to say, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Here it is. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So obviously the, the disciples and the other people, they're like, okay, whoa, whoa, what, what was that? You know, Jesus did a lot of stuff. They were like, okay, well, can you explain that? What, what do you mean? And so Jesus is now having to get some clarity on this. He goes on to say in verse 12, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven so he says to you has been given the secret of the kingdom one version says the mystery of the kingdom what was concealed in the old testament is now being revealed in the person and work of jesus christ and so he says but for those outside everything is in parables why is this well some scholars believe that it's outsiders is in reference to unbelievers you see, unbelievers reject the person and work of Christ. We've all seen it. <laughs> what you mean, there's only one way to God? Really? Really? How is that even possible? They don't see. In fact, in fact, 1 Corinthians 2, 11 and 12 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we, Paul writes, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who was from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The outsiders, unbelievers, they're not going to get it. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We can't expect them to see. In fact, I'm reminded of a friend of mine uh, who, who went to Moody Bible Institute, and he, he, he told me in, in his tenure there, he had, a, he had a roommate that was born blind. And so a lot of his friends on the floor would help him around campus, and they would help him put food. In one particular moment, a powerful scene, he said, I was there with my friend and trying to describe to him uh, the salad bar, and he made the mistake describing the color of a particular dressing. 
I think it was, I forgot, it was a red color dressing. Well, how do you explain red to a person who's never seen red before? He can't see. And likewise, a dead man can't make himself live. People are lost. And one of the sobering things for us, think about this. Right now, all around the world, there are millions of people that entered into eternal separation from God. Right now. And to even think even further, we are closer to an appointment with God right now than when this session started. Do we have holy urgency or are we casually just meandering through life, punching the clock of Christianity? Jesus says the secret of the kingdom. That's a gift. He did not have to do this. And he opened up the eyes of his disciples and brought clarity. I'm telling these things because not everybody's going to get it. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 to describe the hardness of heart and the unbelief of his day. In fact, one scholar says that the same was true for those who heard Jesus in this parable. Unless they responded to the truth they had been given, they would not be given further insight to lead them to repentance But, oh, here's some good news. One of the joys as a pastor is to see the Spirit of God at work. I'm reminded of a a couple, um, the first church I was pastoring in, in the south suburbs of Chicago. This this couple, uh, they've been married for 30 plus years at the time. And the wife described almost, almost 20, 25 years of their marriage. The wife was the only one who was a believer. Her husband was alcoholic. But yet she prayed for him. She prayed for him. She prayed for him. She kept showing up, kept leading her kids spiritually, kept serving with tears and all uncertainty. Then one day, God arrested her husband's heart. And this man loves Jesus. I couldn't even believe it. And she said to me, Pastor, the man you see today is transformed because Jesus did it. Jesus changed his life. And that's what I want you to see here. And I think this is what Jesus is implying in the second key thought here. And that is we must cherish the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. We must cherish the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan wrote a book several years ago called The Forgotten God. The Holy Spirit. You hear a lot about God. You hear a lot about his son. But it's not much talk about Holy Spirit. However, It's no wonder why the book of Acts ends open-ended because the Spirit of God is still performing acts in human history. The book of Acts is not the acts of the apostles. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts 1, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the most parts of the world. Now you hear me, God does not anoint plans, he anoints people. He clothes people with power from on high. We exist to experience the supernatural moving of God in our lives. And oh, if we can daily surrender to him, we would see him do more in our lives in a flash than what we can do for ourselves in a lifetime. We must cherish the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Why? Let me give you three reasons why. Number one, because he convicts. 
We don't like that, but it's necessary and it's needed. John 16, verse 8. That's a good scripture reference there. The Holy Spirit convicts. Praise God for that. That's a gift. Um, David said in Psalm 32, reflecting over his sin with Bathsheba, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away because your hand was on me. The convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit is a precious gift. And if we're not experiencing that, that's the indication of a hard heart. Uh, the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit teaches us. Again, John 16. Have you ever spent time in God's word and then all of a sudden the, 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 your light is open, your, your, your heart is open, you're, you're seeing insight, your heart is stirred, there's sweet fellowship. That's the spirit of God stirring our affections. Even when we're singing songs to the Lord, you know, the, your, your heart is being stirred. That's not you. That's the spirit of God stirring afresh your affections for Christ. He convicts, he teaches, he guides. Romans 8 verse 14 you need clarity. You need decisions. You, you need direction. You, you stay in God's truth, and the Holy Spirit bears witness to that truth, and he leads you into where he wants you to go. The Holy Spirit also prays for us. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a time of prayer, and you didn't know what to say? All you could do is cry. God knows the interpretations of every tear that goes down the street, your, your face. God knows that every, mm, he knows what that means. He even takes what you don't even know what you're trying to say. He takes the intent of your heart. That's the Holy Spirit interceding for, interceding for us. Uh, he also sanctifies us, 1 Peter 1.16. And these are just a few things that he does. He does a whole lot more, but he sanctifies us. That we ought to look more like Jesus today than January 1st. We ought to look more like our Savior today than last week. Jesus is implying that we must cherish the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not everybody is experiencing that reality. And so he gives the parable. He gives some clarity. But then here's where we get to the explanation. And this is where we're going to just camp out now. The explanation, look at verse 13 and 14. Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. Now, I love this. Now, what we're about to see here, this is fascinating to me, are four types of hearts. Wherever the word of God is proclaimed, there are at least these four types of hearts that are represented. I'm not saying it. The text is saying it. There are four hearts that is revealed. When the word of God is sown, when it's going forth, these four types of hearts are here even in this room. Number one, there's the hard heart. The hard heart. He gives a parable in verse 4, and the exposition of verse 4 is found in verse 15. Notice verse 15, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. One scholar puts it this way, soil becomes hard when too many feet tread on it. Those who recklessly open their hearts to all kinds of people and influences are in danger of developing hard hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs, one version says, issues of life. 
hard hearts must be plowed up before they can receive the seed of the word. It's interesting. Uh, Hosea 10, 12 says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is a time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Let the Holy Spirit convict. Do we have a hard heart today? Are we calloused? Are we here, but we're not here? Do we hear, but we really don't hear? Because when the word goes forth, is my heart being exposed here as one that is hard? That's the first type of heart. The second type of heart when the word is sown is the shallow heart. So you have the hard heart, and now you got the shallow heart. That's verses 5 and 6. But he gives the exposition of 5 and 6 in verses 16 to 17. And he says in verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Another way of putting it is this. These are people who have an emotional response to the word. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, 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 oh great. Oh, this is great. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, I'm at the altar. I'm snotting. I'm crying. Oh, Jesus, it's me and you, me and you, me and you, me and you. And then two weeks later, you ain't even walking with them. I've seen this a lot as a pastor. I've seen this in myself over the years. You get fired up. You're, you're riding the wave of the emotion. As soon as adversity hits, as soon as resistance happens, because you do realize we are engaged in an angelic conflict, right? If all you see is what you see, you have not seen all that there is to be seen. Everything visible and physical is preceded by something invisible and spiritual. You do realize that, right? You do realize that there's an invisible war that manifests itself in the physical realm. So we don't fight against flesh and blood, Ephesians chapter 6. We are engaged in an angelic conflict. So when we are emotionally responding, the devil loves that because he knows there's no root in my heart. So yeah, yeah, let, the, let, let him hear the word. He ain't serious. She ain't serious. They'll quit by Tuesday. This is the person hears the word, even receives it joyfully on, on, on the surface. They look as if they're sincere. But as my grandmama used to say, time tells no lies. Just give it time. And you'll see. I was a church planner for eight years in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, I've seen that a lot. Oh, we are on board. Oh, yes, we're going to be going strong for the Lord. Oh, yeah, gospel-centered church. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Let's see where you are about six months from now. The real faithful ones will come to the top, and the emotional ones will fade in the back. And then they're the ones that got excuses. Oh, I'm sorry, I was busy. I had this going on. God is looking for people that are faithful. So Jesus is being real. When the word goes forth, there are hard hearts that are revealed. When the word goes forth, there are emotional, shallow hearts that are revealed. But then there's a third type of heart. Oh, God has convicted me on this one. And I invite you in the struggle. The third type of heart is what I call the crowded heart. That's verse 7. But Jesus gives the exposition in verse 8 to 9, 18 to 19. 
Verse 18, he says, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. Look at verse 19. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the world, the word, and it proves unfaithful. This person has too many weeds in their hearts. It doesn't have to be the bogus stuff. It can be, it can, let's be honest, it could be legitimate things. Your career, your, your passions, your marriage, your, your family. Uh, it, it could be legitimate things that have become ultimate things that have become a distraction to the worship and adoration of our Savior. Crowded. Crowded. And God's convicted me on this. I know 2020 was a rough year for all of us in this world. But in many ways, I look over that time and I can see God giving that to us as a gift. Sit down somewhere is what my mama used to say. I was a little bit too busy running around, running. Boy, when my mama get mad, that bottom lip curl in. <laughs> Boy, sit down somewhere. God was screaming at us in 2020. Sit down somewhere. Be with your family. Shelter in place. Actually talk to one another. <laughs> Spend time with me. I can clearly see God saying that to all of us. You're too busy. I've been guilty of it. You know, you're doing ministry and you get up every morning. You're trying to do what you're supposed to do. And you know how it is. You go throughout your day and you're like, man, it's the end of the day. I mean, I didn't even spend enough time in prayer. Oh, I didn't spend fruitful time. And you know how did you phone in your devotions? You're not really there. You're supposed to do it. We worship at the shrine of busyness in the Western world. The more busy you are, the more important you are. Yeah, go for it. All the while, your relationships are dying. And most importantly, there's no intimacy with the Father. So I asked us a question this evening. Is there any crowded hearts? Too many weeds. And the hard reality is some of us flat out have no room for the Lord. No room. It's time to prioritize. Is our heart crowded? What's in the way? So you have the hard heart when the word is sown. You also have the emotional shallow heart. Number three, you have the crowded heart. And all three of these produce literally no fruit or glory for God. The God is not even pleased with that. But the fourth heart is where we need to live. The fourth heart is where we need to daily stay in this posture. And I call this the fruitful heart. That's verse 8, and he gives the exposition in verse 20. Look at verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, the good soil represents a consistent, attentive, and accepting heart. 
The good soil is one whose heart is consistent and attentive and accepting before the Lord. Now, a fruitful heart has at least three components. The text gives it to us. Number one, they hear the word. In other words, they give their undivided attention to the word of God. Not just here, but in your own devotion. That we stay in a posture of, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. They hear the word, but then they also accept the word. They don't just accept the beautiful red velvet cake portions of scripture. They accept it all. You ever spent time with the Lord and you walked away saying, ouch, but it's a good ouch. It's an ouch that moves me to Christ-likeness. They receive the word as is, as convicting as it is. They hear, they accept it as is, and then they do something about it. The text says they bear fruit. They do something about what they heard. They don't spiritually hoard They passed the ball. God spoke to me on this issue. I'm going to apply this to my life. God gave me a word. I'm going to speak it over my children. God gave me confirmation. I'm going to share it with others. God did not call me to hoard the Christian life. He called me to give it away, to bear fruit. And that's where the Father is glorified. And that's where God wants us to be, people who have a fruitful heart. That's where I want to live. But it begins with the idea of saying, Lord, keep my heart tender before you. So the third reality for us we need to think about is this, that we must daily examine ourselves. Daily examine ourselves. That I want my heart to be tender before the Lord. And as a father, my wife and I, as we're raising three girls, say a prayer for me. you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my babies, and we're, we're having real, real conversations. I'm teenagers, and, you know, just real stuff. And my, my prayer that I keep praying is, the Lord, keep their heart tender. Keep their heart tender. This is a wicked world. We can't protect it from everything. But, oh, there's a hound of heaven that can watch over our babies. And so, Lord, keep their heart tender and keep my heart tender. Keep me from me. Because, oh, I'm prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. It's been said that every declining relationship has at least four moves. I've heard a preacher say this, and it's so true. Every declining relationship, for example, how does a, how does a marriage end in divorce? There's at least four moves. Obviously, there's different nuances, but typically you see this pattern. There's passion. Hey, boo. Hey, boo. I love you. I love you, too. There's passion, right? But then, as we all know, that kind of subsides the emotional part and then if I'm not careful to 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 cultivate that intimacy it goes to neglect that I begin to neglect the priority of my spouse for example I neglect the priority of the intimacy if I'm not careful it moves to boredom now the relationship is boring to me I start entertaining self-destructive things I shouldn't be entertaining. Then finally, departure, whether physically or emotionally. That fourfold process is also true with our walk with God. There's passion, there's neglect, there's boredom departure. And I want to ask us, hey, hey, where do we stand there? 
Maybe we've gotten numb in our relationship with God. Maybe we're not seeking his face as we should. You know, there's no such thing as a successful, fruitful, holding pattern Christian. It's been said that marriage is either moving towards oneness or drifting towards isolation. There's no such thing as a fruitful marriage that's in the middle. And likewise, there's no such thing as a fruitful Christianity that's pursuing Christ that is neutral. So where are we? Passion, neglect, boredom, or departure? Let the Holy Spirit apply that to us. And so Jesus is challenging us to really take heed and to look into the reality of the word of God is revealing us. What is it saying to us about our heart and how should we respond? I was <laughs> laughing to myself earlier today thinking about this, this little mini vacation we went in. I was living in Nashville um, uh, a couple, couple years ago. We lived there for about eight years. And my parents live in Atlanta. That's where I'm from, born and raised in Atlanta. And my mom um, was always wanting to do stuff with the grandkids. Uh, she wanted us to come down for a few days and spend some time at Callaway Gardens. Um, so it's a be- beautiful place. And while we were there, we went to a butterfly exhibit. And I knew it was old school. They still had VHSs. <laughs> I'm like, okay, y'all need to do some upgrades up in here. But it was, the guy puts in a VHS tape. My kids was like, what's that? I says, we'll explain that later. But before we went to the butterfly exhibit, we actually had to watch this presentation. And it was good, you know. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But one part, one part caught me, caught me by surprise. My dad and I were blown away by this as preachers, and you'll see what I mean in a second. The guy was saying in the video that every morning you'll see butterflies sitting somewhere flapping their wings. I'm like, okay, where's he going with this? He went on to say that he's, they're just not flapping their wings just because. They're doing it intentionally. Because a butterfly intuitively knows that in order for me to fly, I have to draw heat from the sun to warm up the blood on the inside. So by him flapping his wings, it promotes circulation. In other words, where there is no laying in the presence of the sun, there is no flying. In order for a butterfly to be successful, it has to daily depend on the heat and warmth and power from the sun. And what makes us think we can be fruitful without dependence upon the S-O-N. That daily we need to be challenged to lay before the presence of the Lord so that he can stir not our external extremities, but stir our hearts afresh so that we can face the temptations we face, so that we can conquer and walk through the adversity we're, we're walking through, so that we can press through when life knocks us out of our, out of our, off of our seat, and so that we can move forward. But we have to be in the posture of a metaphorical butterfly that says, Lord, I'm here. I'm here, Lord. I receive your word, and I want to fly in your name. But the key to flying in Jesus, I have to lay in his presence. That's where the power comes. It does not happen in my own strength. 
not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Father, help us. What lessons we can learn from creation. <laughs> I mean, who does that? Puts it in the woven fabric DNA of a butterfly. To have the consciousness to draw its strength from what you said in the sky called the sun. Whoa, Lord, you are amazing. And how much more we who are made in the Imago Day, made in your image, must we depend upon the Heavenly Father? God, we need a holy dependence upon you. I don't know what my brothers and sisters are dealing with. I don't know the, 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 the uncertainties and the, the questions, but, but you're well acquainted with every human heart here. And Lord, I pray right now in this holy moment to quiet our hearts. No, we may not have all the answers we need right now, but that's okay. But may we walk away saying, you know what? I'm going to lay before my father. I'm going to commune. I'm going to walk with him. Paul would say, in you we live and move and have our being. Lord, we draw our strength from heaven. And we pray that you would strengthen the inner man, O oh God, that you will help us to stand firm in this evil day, that you will help us to move forward and receive your word, the seed of your word, and may it fall on good ground so that we can be the army that you've called us to be. And so, yes, Lord, we, your metaphorical butterflies, we are in your presence asking you, Lord, to strengthen us and help us, Lord, to walk with you in spirit and in truth. Be with us, we pray, as we go about our evening, but even as we continue the days you allow us to live, to be people of the word. And may our hearts be spiritually fit to do kingdom business. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.